In this episode of the Courage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by Kim Manuel Dickens, who's a corporate executive and music business consultant. Kim and I begin the episode discussing how we met on Got Connected on the Clubhouse app and the fact that I really appreciate her because of how our similar mindsets and thought processes are when it comes to working with independent creatives. Kim shares about her first introduction to music at the age of five. She shares that it was inevitable for her to get involved in music. She began to play instruments and she became a classically trained pianist. During her later years, her involvement in the music evolved to her playing in school bands, spending time as a music director, playing in various music ensembles, which she thought would have led to a career for her as a music producer. Kim shares that her parents wanted her to get a real job and not be a struggling artist, so it wasn't even up for question that she would go to college. She didn't object going to college and pursuing the degree because she also knew she had a strong interest in business and entrepreneurship. Kim shares that she earned an undergraduate degree from the University of Maryland and had a master's degree from the Wharton School of Business. She talks about the fact that she only went to the Wharton School of Business because she was told that black people couldn't go. Kim shares that her father is still in her strong work ethic not to let someone tell her she couldn't do something she knew was achievable and attainable. Kim and I talk about my path in school and how it initially uh, led me to a different direction, which I thought was going to be the hospitality industry, but ultimately led me into uh, the entertainment industry and the degree from Full Sail University. I share that I've been a freelancer doing my own thing pretty much since I graduated from Full Sail University. I also share that I feel in today's music ecosystem, there's really no need or not a huge need for people who work with indie creators to have a major record label background, having the ability to help indie creators get to where they want to go, while giving them access to knowledge and how to execute is much more viable than having what they think is the fastest and easiest way to achieve success. Kim shares that she's a big advocate for everyone being very comfortable with the value that they add, and when she works with her creatives, she doesn't mind not exploring all desired options, I will often ask the question, what can an entity, whether it be a consultant or a label, do for them that they can't do for themselves? She also shares that indie creators who are savvy and know how to plug and play, rather than waiting for one thing, are often going to put themselves into a much better situation to succeed. Kim and I talk about the importance of indie creators having their framework for success. Oftentimes, so many artists don't have their ducks in a row when it comes to setting up their business structure properly. Kim shares that since the music ecosystem which used to be about getting a record label deal and the barriers to entry being really high to now being extremely low, the part for indie creators to have a strong team is so important. Kim talks about some of the inquiries she received when being approached by indie creatives and the reason why she charges her fee because she says that so many of them are simply taught that someone should work with them for free and eventually they will pay. Kim has to often tell them that's just not how it works. Kim talks about how she has, in the past, helped to pay for certain things for her creators that she works with because she has a very lucrative career in corporate America, but that is definitely not an everyday thing. She shares that creators who want help need to be able to properly compensate those in which they seek professional assistance from. Kim and I discussed that there are so many creators who chase the industry looking for approval but fail to understand that they don't need the music industry to be successful in the music business as long as they understand the business of music. Major record labels really are only sign of influences that they have numbers to prove their value. Kim shares that it's sad when you merge artistry with the hopes and dreams of creators with real talent, but elevate those who don't do to simple numbers. Kim also says that it's really simple for her to think from the corporate mindset of a return on investment coming from the label's perspective. She always encourages her clients to think of themselves as a product. Kim shares that even though some indie creators are screaming they want to be independent, she really thinks they actually really do need record labels 
that they really aren't doing the things that they need to do. Kim and I don't both believe that when you are building your audience creative, it comes down to a value exchange. Kim and I talk about her being on the board of a nonprofit organization called the Three Arts Foundation. Kim is very passionate about this organization because they are heavy advocates for female artists, artists of color, and artists with disabilities. She shares that for every year, the organization gives 10 artists $30,000 to fund their careers. She encourages indie creators to look for the local, city, and nonprofit organizations that they are often working to help indie creators fund and get assistance with their careers. Kim and I talk about how the pandemic really affected the livelihood of so many creators and industry pros who work in a live production aspect of the industry. Kim and I talk about the artist showcase she often sponsors called The Next Showcase, where I share that one of my acts that I manage, Xavier Keys, has, has performed and participated in that event. Kim shares that she really appreciates this event because it's a form and platform that doesn't bash artists but rather uplift them to learn, get better, and keep them encouraged and mentally in the game to keep going. Kim and I discuss that there are certain ways in the industry you pay people in the industry. Money, barter, relationship, and sex. Kim shares that she will never be an advocate for using sex to make a career in the industry for women. She works with her female clients to make sure they understand how to build value and come from a place of strength when they can use their ability to barter if they don't have money to pay for something. Kim shares that although she had over 20 years of corporate business experience, she technically has only been actively working in the business side of the music industry for seven years. I share that in today's Mikiko system, having transferable skills that are holding other industries shouldn't be undervalued and it definitely can make a difference for those who are entering the music space much later. I share the reason why I love being in the entertainment industry is because it's a t-shirt and jeans business. I share that Kim having so much value experience in corporate America is extremely powerful because of her ability to show creators how to promote, market, and become experienced in entrepreneurship. Kim and I end the episode talking about how so many creators have been taught the importance of creators to how to learn how to build community deep rather than building wide. Kim and I discuss creators who don't understand brand positioning, the fan persona, and those important elements that help to build a core audience. I share why uh, I'm not an advocate for just running ads on social media before doing the work that's required to put a system in place. Kim agrees, saying that she only would advocate for for ads for creators to gather market research. Uh, Kim and I discuss her work she's done in corporate America, lending her expertise to several Fortune 100 brands, helping them to grow organically across several different industries as well as bigger brands like GE, McDonald's, and Johnson & Johnson. I asked Kim what's the biggest difference in working with smaller brands versus the bigger, more established brands. Kim shares the biggest difference in scale. The way the operational prowess is with big brands the way the company machine is designed to basically run itself. She shares that when she works with a smaller company, she enjoys it much more because of the ability to shift and disrupt across several different spaces. She loves to work with both for different reasons. The ability Kim has to understand business strategy, corporate strategy, and strategic marketing has allowed her to work in several different spaces. She has been able to get in the fast track of music and to to become a great work. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode.
Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire Podcast. This is episode number 22. And I'm joined today by my colleague and friend Kimberly Manuel Dickens. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. Hey, Darrell. Hey, yeah, you know, we, we, we met on Clubhouse. You know, Clubhouse is a new wave. At the time of this recording, you know, you might be listening to this years from now, but at the time of this recording, Clubhouse is the wave right now. So, <laughs> right. So, so, you know, um, we, we connected on Clubhouse. And what I really loved about what we had been in some rooms together, and what I loved about what you were sharing is that we have a lot of same philosophies, man, when it comes to how we view to how to be successful uh, in today's ecosystem. That's when it comes to when it comes to uh, entertainment and music space. Um, so that's how we connected. And after reading your bio, man, you've done so so you've you've had such a great career in both the entertainment space and the corporate space. So we're gonna get into some of that today. Sure, happy to share. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So. You're, you know, so you wear a lot of hats, like from marketing experts to entertainment consultant, investor. I find that that's really, really fascinating to me because you're able to use both sides of your brain, you know, because um, you had you actually had a had a had a developed an early love for music at the age of five. Right. Can you can you talk to me about talk to me about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I come from a, an extremely musical family. My mothers and aunts, they all sang in like doo-wop groups when they were teens and 20s. And of course, that spilled over into their their later years. So once us kids came along, you know, it was that Saturday morning music on overdrive. It was every single day. (laughs) We were always getting taken to shows. Um, And I was the youngest of my siblings. Um, I have a sister and a brother. And they were also very involved in the local music scene. I'm from D.C., by the way. So they played in like go-go bands. Our basement had every instrument that you can imagine. So it it was inevitable for me (laughs) to become become a musician. So at around, um, you know, four or five years old, I started to pluck around on instruments. And then uh, my parents put me in piano lessons. So I'm a classically trained pianist. Um, from there, started getting involved in, you know, school bands and things like that. And it just continued to grow. Um, and once I got into my young adult years, I was doing things like doing music direction, um, playing for other ensembles, getting into music production, all of that stuff that would have pointed to <laughs> me becoming some kind of artist or producer. Right. Right. Um, but the reality is, you know, I was a young black woman growing up um, in the 80s and 90s. And, you you know, you have those parents that say, OK, you're great. That's fascinating. Have fun. But you're going to get a real job, too, because my daughter's not going to end up, you know, waiting tables and ha- being a struggling artist. Oh, right i know sounds like a bummer right i will say that they are extremely you know they're elderly now but they're extremely supportive of how life has kind of taken a turn for me back into music but we'll get back into that a little bit later right yeah but fortunately i I was going to say fortunately enough for me when when that kind of directive came i was okay with it because i also had a strong interest in business and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. 
So I said, okay, well, I'll go to college and I'll get the degrees. And um, that's how my life spiraled into me being in corporate America. Right, right. Yeah, and I was going to ask about how that kind of, yeah, because that was going to be my, kind of my next question. Like, did you know you kind of always had a passion for, you know, for business, for business and being behind the scenes? And obviously you did. So, you know, it ultimately it always works out, right? Ultimately, you know, if you and your purpose, it's usually, I always say it's usually always going to work out. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you know, so you end up getting an um, uh, undergrad in in business management from University of Maryland, and then you got an MBA at the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. Wharton School that's that's major. That, that that's that's yeah, super, that's super awesome. You know, that's not an easy school to grad to 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 get to 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 graduate from. <laughs> no, it's it's not it's not an easy school to get into either. But right. I will be dead honest with you. I don't think I even fully, fully understood the weight of it. I mean, I, I got it. It was an Ivy League school and people were aspiring to it. But I, I don't think I was, I wasn't all bought into, I'm going to go there and be on Wall Street. and da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Darrell, I just went because they said Black people couldn't go. Right. So that was just like, okay, well, shit. You're going <laughs> right. to tell me I can't, you know, you're going to tell me I can't do this. Well, you know, it's almost like, well, fuck you then. You know what I mean? Listen, it my my I got that from my dad. Um, I have an amazing set of parents, and my dad just raised me to not take anybody telling me what I couldn't do. Right. He didn't believe in average, and he's like, "Hey, you don't have to, but please don't ever think that you are not capable and worthy of doing certain things just because you either don't see a lot of us doing it or." society has said that we don't belong there. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. You know, for me, um, I would say this, you know, entertainment found me, right? So when I was growing up, I mean, obviously I was born with a disability, you know, but when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be a coach in the NBA. And that's what I thought I was going to do. Like, you know, and then, you know, when you're <laughs> your kids, you know, that's what you think. Right. And then in my, in my later, in my later high school years, the last two years of high school, uh, I, w- I was in a magnet program. You know, I live here in Orlando, Florida, so I was in a magnet program for travel and tourism, the hospitality industry. So mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be the direction that I was going to go into because that was the last two years. So I actually almost went to a school called Johnson and Wales University to the Miami, to I think the Miami Fort Lauderdale campus. You know, they're, they're known for culinary. That's where Emma Lagasse went and things of that nature, you know, back then. But um but ultimately, I decided to, you know, because it was expensive. My mom really couldn't afford to send me there. So, mm-hmm. like, I decided to stay local. So I ended up going to local local colleges here. And, and you know, my best friend at the time had a roommate that was in a dance group, you know. And, and so he would just take me to the dance groups to just have fun. Hey, man, come hang out. You know, ain't nothing. Come hang out, have fun with us. So um, I started going to the dance group. So here in Orlando, we have something called a classic weekend in, in, in the fall, in November. So that's when the black colleges, but through Cookman University and Florida A&M University come to Orlando and they play the, the football game. So the night before, the Friday night, is when all the black high schools come out and they do the kind of the battle of the bands type of thing, right? So uh, we, were, we were performing at the old arena where the Magic play at. And it was like 18,000 people. This is... This is uh, fall of 04, probably November 2004. And um, so they were playing 
we, we did the halftime intermission. And so they, they set the routine up to end with a freestyle session and have me come out on crutches dancing on the freestyle session. I don't have, I wish I still had, I don't have any footage of this. I wish I did. But I, I remember um, performing in front of 18,000 people. I said, oh, this is dope. This entertainment thing is pretty cool. But I knew. Yeah, so, you know, I knew that I did not want to be on the creative side. Like, I don't I want to go learn the business, right? So I was fortunate enough to uh, meet my mentor, LaShawn, my big bro, LaShawn, T.S. Jones. We call him T.S. But he basically took me under his wing and kind of taught me. He taught me the music industry. He taught me how, how this works. He, a 19-year-old kid that wanted to be in this business, and he was 25 at the time. And keep in mind, this guy's six foot six, 275 pounds. And it's like, so what is like, what is he doing hanging out with this with this kid with a disability that's that's five years younger than him? But it's hanging and he would come to my mom's house. Keep my mom, mom's on nothing about the entertainment industry. And both her children are in the entertainment industry, but she really knows nothing much about it. So he would come back then, he would come to my, mom, my mom's house and say, Look, I got the road, the world gonna be all right. You know, I'm gonna teach, I'm gonna make sure he's gonna be okay. So Wow. Um, he 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 taught me how the industry works, and that's how I got in. That's how I got into the to the entertainment industry, I, and it has become my passion. You know, because at the core of this whole thing is people and relationships, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm great at. You know, so that's kind of so. Fast forward to that was all four, right? Fast forward to 2013. You know, I was working with artists. A lot of situations was kind of wasn't kind of going the way I wanted to go, so I just okay, look, let me go back and get my degree, something I'm passionate about, right? And now, I'm not the person who really believes that college is for everybody. I don't, I don't buy into that premise of you have to go to college to be successful. I just don't think that that's reality. I think that if you can find something that you love to do, if it requires college, great. If it doesn't, then it doesn't, you know. But I'm glad that I that I went to get my degree at a school called Full Sail University. I don't know if you're familiar with it. If you've heard, yeah, of, if heard I of am. It. I am, and I totally agree with you about you know, college university may not be for everybody, and certainly their whole value proposition is kind of dying on the vine exactly. <laughs> nowadays. But yeah. yeah, do what's right for you, and if you feel like formal training will help um, accelerate, so you can do what you want to do. That that's when you do it, in my opinion. I totally agree. I totally agree. So when I went to Full Sail, I ended up. Um, so I, how that story happened was I went to Full Sail and they have two tours, right? They do a regular tour, which is an everyday. They just kind of the everyday tours, but they just kind of show you the campus, you know, kind of a soft, soft tour, right? And then they have the big, the big tour is when they call they call that the behind the scenes tour and that's when they kind of bring out all the bells and whistles right to kind of get people really excited about coming to the school so i went to full sale kind of late right i went to school, i was 28 when i went to full sale so at that time like my dad's like you know by that time my credit wasn't really that good you know and, and things that age so i was like i like how am i gonna get along to pay for this stuff and my little son like look i didn't do it for your sisters i'm not doing it for you i said i got you i understand well, so ultimately what happened was they, um, my under, my, my previous schooling at University of Central Florida and Valencia Community College, two local schools here, 
uh, I was able to take my courses from from those school from those schools and transfer them into Full Sail because Full Sail has what we call a regional accreditation versus a national accreditation, right? So basically, what that means is is they don't have to go through the state to determine what they can and can't teach. Cool. Right? So 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 that being said, you can transfer credits into Full Sail. But if you want to go to take, if you want to go to full sale and try want to try to go back to Florida State University, it's probably not going to work. You know what I mean? Just because of the like, how the accreditation is set up. So ultimately, um, I, I I I got into the school, ended up getting uh, money back in my pocket to ultimately graduating with a with a free education and valedictorian and, and, and advanced achiever of the two highest awards of my of my class and numerous awards there. So. Ultimately, being a, it ultimately was a great experience for me. So, uh, education, uh, and I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. It was fun. It was a great time. And post graduation, I've been kind of just been doing my own thing. You know, been been freelancing, been never really worked for a company. You know, mm-hmm. and this was always just kind of did my own thing. You know, and, and it's kind of worked out because you know in today's ecosystem, you know, having a major labor background is, isn't really that important anymore. Because what's more important now is do you have the knowledge and expertise to help people? Right. So I think in a space like in a space like like today, you and I, I don't know if you what your background as far as working for major labels and things like that, but um, in my situation, I think that for me, the knowledge and expertise that I have, I'm really more viable because one, you have access to me. Two, I got the knowledge and the relationships to help artists get to where they want to go. So because most of the artists that's in the marketplace today ain't never going to sign a major record deal anywhere. So who's really more viable? Who's really (laughs) more viable? Somebody who's preaching major label, major label, major label, or somebody like me who never worked for a major label, but got the relationships and everything else you need to get there where where, where you got to go. Right. So I'm a big advocate of everybody just kind of being very comfortable in what value they add. Right. And when I'm working with my artists, it's, do you understand artists, what value a certain entity, whether it's a company or a consultant has and what matters for you at the moment? So I'm never going to tell an artist, you know, don't do labels because labels are awful. I'm not going to say that, but I, I will say, well, what do you need a label for? that you either can't do yourself or have you plateaued at a point or do you want to stay independent? And we explore that whole conversation of goals, strategy, what path is right for them for that given time. The really amazing thing about life and career in general, but especially in this industry is you set a plan and you go with it for a few years, but you better reevaluate. Right. Right. Um, right. After you've been out there for a while. And I think for um, for artists, when they are working with people like us, when they're working with the label, you know, the really savvy ones know how to leverage and plug and play as needed versus counting on one or the other to do everything. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and and that leads into my question about you know, setting up a framework for success, right? Because that's what I really believe in. I think if you can set up a framework for success, you know, uh, you're really going to be set up to win. And I think for me, that framework consists of being able to build a core audience, you know, being able to build community, 
And, and if you can do, and I mean, it's a bunch of other things too. You got to make sure the your business is set up too. You got to make sure you're, you're a lot of a lot of creatives don't have their core business stuff set up too, and that's also part of the framework that they need. You know, that they don't necessarily want to spend time doing because it's not really, it's not fun. Most creatives just like to be in the create mode. They don't really like, oh, like we got to go do the business. Oh, that's boring. You know, but they don't understand like that's the stuff that really matters at the end of the day. You know. Absolutely. It's, it's what matters. And, um, you know, we went from this, this paradigm where it was all label, 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 right, 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 right. right. Goal in life. Oh, we get signed. Right, right. Um, (laughs) And the barriers to entry into this industry professionally were really high. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And everything shifted. Anybody can be an artist now. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but I think the disservice that happened to artists is it's, it happened so quickly. The new artists that were coming in really didn't understand that, Hey, if you're not going to be partnered up with a strong team, a manager and a label, you got to learn all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, you know, they're getting their mentors sometimes are, you know, people who started their whole career from a label standpoint, have had a bunch of stuff, do something for them. So they're not getting coached by those people right. <laughs> to how to set up. They're like, I don't know either. So, um, right. <laughs> it's, it's all. And I just try to keep the right perspective. People say a lot of crazy stuff all the time, but I always step back and say, well, what, where is this person coming from and what do they know? And, right. And I going to take the time to, to work with them and teach them? Are they coachable? And if not, go on there, flutter for a while and, you know, call me <laughs> when you actually need my help or something. Exactly. Look, they look, they always come back. They always come back, you know, because artists, artists, this how they, in my opinion, this is how they think. They think that, that you should work with them for free because they're just that good, right? You should work with them for free because I, we're going to make me the dollars together. No, the fuck, we're not going to do none of that. None of that's happening. You know don't even I mean? get me started. You know, what yeah, I mean? the, the, the like, downside you know, like, of Clubhouse is my inbox stays full. Oh my gosh. T- talk to me about but, that. Talk to me yeah. about like, you know, what what are some of the questions that you be getting DM'd as far as like people wanting you to help them? Talk to me about that. <laughs> um, what is it that you do? Um I need a manager. What should I look for? I, can I can I get a call? So you know, a lot of it starts off okay. I'm right. fine with some of the questions because I actually respect artists who are trying to learn. Right, right, Come and right. ask some questions. I fortunately I don't get a lot of people who are just like, listen to this, I'm hot. Right. I think I've positioned myself well enough <laughs> on Clubhouse. Like, don't do that. Because right, <laughs> right, I can't right. really help you. I'll tell you it's dope because I love music, but other than that, I can't do right. anything for you. Right. But <laughs> the stuff that ends up in my my inbox, oh, and also business opportunities. So it's not just artists, it's other entrepreneurs like us who are trying to um, figure out or build new business models, right? And they, right. they want investors and they want partners. And I'm like, more power to you, but my plate is full and my <laughs> wallet is emptying out working with the artists that I already work with. Exactly. Um, but to the point about, you know, working for free and Mm-mm-mm. it's the most frustrating conversation. But again, I get it. They have yeah. been taught, 
you know, if a baby never understands eventually how to get food and that they have to go to the grocery store and pay for it. (laughs) Right. Same way with an artist. They literally think that I'm dope, work with me, and eventually I'll pay you. No, I've been down that path before. And I know now, much smarter, (laughs) never again. And if I have to explain to you too many times why my fee is what it is or why a manager gets a certain percentage of most of your Right. music earnings we, we don't we don't need to talk because <laughs> it's not like you're paying me a salary so we got to pull from your streams of income exactly. that i'm helping you build it's a commission and, and honestly it would be smarter for them to pay a salary wouldn't it technically technically it would be smarter for say you know just like your attorney like okay hey look and this usually this only works for, for major artists but let's say you know somebody is bringing in millions and millions of dollars, a guy like a Bruno Mars or somebody, you know, so he can, he can technically afford to say, you know what, I'm going to just give you a salary. You know, I'm going to pay you 500000 a year and, you know, yep. <laughs> and that's it, makes, it like, makes the equation much easier and yeah. I'm not having to chase you down and, and get all these letters of direction and all exactly. that. Exactly. So <laughs> I'm just going to give you a flat, you know, you're going to make five, you're going to be all an employee on my, you know, right, you're going to pay you, I'm going to pay you a, a fee. That's what Rick Barker, so I don't know if you know Rick Barker, but Oh yeah, I know Rick. So Rick was going to, he was going to when he was managing Taylor Swift. He he left Taylor right as she was about to basically really blow up, and he knew that okay, I'm about to be a millionaire just straight because she was he was a salary he was a salary because they were paying him a salary. So he knew based off the deal she just signed that he was going to be a multi-millionaire. But he said, well, 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 the cost the cost of that though is I'm not going to see my family. So he for him, the money was cool, but I, he wanted to be a he wanted he wanted to be a family guy. He wanted he didn't also want to become be, be a divorced father of two because it's like that's kind of what happens when you know you you're in this space and you're always gone all the time. So he mm-hmm. he left pretty much a multi million dollar situation because he cared more about his family. And I commend that you know, and now you know he's doing more of the artist development because that's really what he loves to do the the teaching aspect of it you know because once you yeah. you know once you, and i love i love the teaching aspect too i love to work directly with uh because there's something special about that you know when, when you can teach you can share and, and people respect the value but but you're right the the the, the cost of, of what we do is my costs are low right so my cost i've been told that my costs are too low when i took my retainer costs you know, so <laughs> you yeah. Know. The, the reality is, when you're talking about, and I'll, I'll go down the the management route for a second because I know you know okay. there's a difference between management portion versus the consultant per- portion. Yes, but, right, correct, right, right. Um, a lot of times these artists reach out and they're like, "Oh, I need marketing help," and you realize they're going to task you with a bunch of stuff that a manager would <laughs> right. would do because they're like, "I got a good person. They're smart. They're connected. They're trustworthy. I'm gonna get all this I can get." And again, it's it's kind of a little bit of not understanding, but yeah, we we do a lot. It's a nonstop job, right on call all the time, gone all the time, potentially. So right. yeah, I, I commend Rick on kind of making that decision around what, what path he wanted to do going forward. And it's hard to walk away from the glitz and the glam and the road and, and all right. that other stuff. But hey, right. you know, he's got to do what's yeah, what's right. right for him. And he realized that the bigger picture, the bigger picture for him was, 
one, I can help more artists doing it the way I'm doing it now. Because in the traditional management structure, the truth for you can really only help, you know, three or four artists, and that's pretty much it. And three artists for one person is just that's a lot anyway. You know what I mean? It's it's a I, ton. I have just, three right now, and yeah. when people call, I'm like, I'll do consulting, but I am not a- taking exactly, advantage. exactly, and that's why I only really so I manage two, and I mentor one, and the rest I consult. Mm-hmm. You know, because I just because as a consultant, here's what I feel, and I want to get your take on it. As a consultant, because here's what artists really need: they really what they think they need a manager for. What they really need is mentorship and guidance. That's really what they need. Absolutely. Right? So they they so to them they think, oh, that's a manager. No, it's not. Because as a manager, we don't pay for shit. We don't pay for your stuff. We some artists think, oh, my man. No, we don't pay for anything, really. That's not what we do. We take our knowledge and expertise and resources and we help you. But the thing we're gonna come out of our pocket, see, once we start doing that, that changes the dynamic of our relationship and now we become the investor. Or the production, yep. and so now. We and to be that. honest, some some managers are are different. The other really interesting thing about this um this industry is that there are no hard and fast rules. It's the most right. unregulated industry I've right. ever seen. Right. Whether it's job descriptions, how people get paid, contract terms, it's very very um, right. template light. I would exactly. say. Right. Um, exactly. And I know managers, including myself, who have you know put money into or on the table just depending on the situation. And because I have this other, well, you know, lucrative career where I can do that. And I know you're just starting out and you don't have, well, not just starting out, but if I got to get you on a flight somewhere, because I know it's a huge opportunity and what, all right, fine, we'll, we'll do that. But to your point, it's, it's a lot of work and artists can stand to, you know, Take a step back and understand, to your point, what is it that I really want or need at this stage? Right. And ding, ding, ding. Can I compensate for it? (laughs) If I can't compensate who I'm asking to take time out of their lives. (laughs) Right. Time is money, too. Hey, um, then no, you need to you need to chill out with the the. the expectations and the exactly entitlement. and people think, oh my god, you know, you know what? I, I always get this. Oh man, you you trying to shit on my dream? Like, ain't nobody shitting on anybody. You know, we try to tell you the reality of how this works, <laughs> right? You know, nobody. Oh, man, you shitting on me, man. Like how am I? Like you know, because I work mostly in in urban, right? Mostly in, in hip hop and R and B and and soul, and that's and we work. I work with most real black artists. Call it is what it is. It doesn't offend me at all. It is what it is. Right. So so a lot of them just have these unrealistic expectations, man, because unfortunately, a lot of these rap artists, all they want to do is is fuck bitches and smoke weed. That's why they do it. Mm -hmm. I'm just being this a podcast. I'm just keeping it raw for y'all. Like, I'm just I'm keeping it raw. This is how I talk. When I talk like one thing about me, when I talk to I tell them the truth, I talk just like this. So. I would. This is something I would. This is something I would say when I'm normally talking on to a client. So I'm gonna talk like this on my own podcast. So, so, <laughs> so you know, luckily we don't have to. Luckily we don't have to keep it. Uh, it, it's not going anywhere. You don't have to censor yourself. Right. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's usually what they want, right? They they want the lifestyle, but they don't want to do the work. Yeah, and it's so, it's a lot of work, and you yeah. can't say out of one side of your mouth, "I don't need nobody. I'm gonna do this by myself," and then out of the other side of your mouth that you don't want to work. But how, how, Sway? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. Right, right. Like you gotta, you have to fall in love with the work more than the result, right? So many people really uh they they gotta understand that these people who you see achieve success, they fell in love with the work. Mm-hmm. The success is a byproduct of the hard work. If you fall in love with the work, the success is going to come, you know, because success for success is different for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're more likely to make $60,000 a year doing music than you are to make millions and millions of dollars doing music. And so that's, so I, I try to tell people to get them in that type of mentality of, all right, can you, can you match your, your nine to five income doing music? Mm-hmm. Because that's more that's more doable. That's more reality for them, right? Because trying to compete with corporate machines like a Beyonce, like a Cardi B, like a Bruno Mars, and so on, so you can't get those. That's the one percent you can't compete with that. No, you can't compete with that. And quite frankly, in some aspects, I think it's a it's a it can be an even more fulfilling experience for an artist mm-hmm. to do what we kind of talked about at the beginning: find your core, find right. your your core targets and make a living off of them. You're, you're going to build a relationship with these people. They're going to love you for what you do. You're not going to have to constantly be changing and rebranding yourself. Contemporize, yes, but they are there for you, your brand, and what you do day in and day out. They'll buy anything from you. Right. They're waiting, they're salivating. But you know what? Helping artists understand that because they're constantly bombarded, right? right. With the big pop, crossover billboard status and it's just like helping them understand the reward in in that it it can be difficult but you know i'm getting some of them there and they're starting to understand yeah and there's a cost there's a cost to the the huge 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 exactly and that means you need a major record company and that means giving them ownership of your intellectual property and Mm -hmm. if you want to work with them at scale so you know, and you know, so there's there's three there's three sides of this thing, right? There's the music, there's the music industry, there's the music business, and then there's the business side of music, right? Yeah. All three of those things are should be made, should be navigated differently, right? So the music industry is tastemakers, DJs, radio people, influ- people who are influencers, right? People who have the gatekeeper, so to say, right? But yep. when you're trying to go into the music industry, can you know this? Essentially, what you're doing is asking for permission. You're asking them based on what they think. Based on what they think, do you belong? Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know <clears throat> asking people, do I belong? When it's like, your fans don't give a shit what the industry trends are. The reason why the labels have to, the reason why the labels have to have to care so much about Spotify numbers and all these things they care about because they have to go to they have to be able to justify if we cut this artist a check for twenty five million dollars what's the ROI going to be we have to be able to to justify giving somebody a check for that much you know exactly <laughs> so that's why they care about all these numbers that your your really your supporter base doesn't really give two rat two shits about because it doesn't really matter to them right and then you have the music business, which is commerce, that's direct. That's direct. That's direct to consumer, or that's services like what we offer as a consultant. Music, you know, our, our our business model, right? That's the music business, and then the business of music is intellectual property. Yep. You know, so so those are three different things that have to be navigated three different ways, and so 
a lot of times the artists don't they don't understand how all three of those things work and that they don't need to be in they don't need the music industry to be successful in the music business as long as they understand the business of music exactly so that's 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 also what i try to teach there is that you don't need the industry the industry the truth is the major record companies have no clue what they're doing they literally (laughs) they literally want you to get hot get yourself they're they're banking on these tiktok artists getting hot and all they're doing is signing these artists because they have influential numbers that's it that's what it's become they're not even signing real artists anymore they're signing influencers and trying to turn them into an artist and we all know they're going to have short-lived careers because they're not really in this because they love the craft of making music. You know, there's a craft to this. And so it's gotten so bad that the labels are just signing artists and signing people who are just, who have influence. That's really what they're doing. It's sad to me because... Mm-hmm. Well, it's the- really sad, but, you know, coming from the land that I come from, I mean, the whole corporate side, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's it's um it's sad when you kind of merge that with the hopes and dreams and the expectations of artistry, right? Right. right. But at any given moment, I'm gonna put on my corporate hat right. to get through a situation and not have my feelings hurt and help my artists to not have their feelings hurt Facts. and to understand. You said a key a key acronym ROI, right? And that anytime you are partnering with a corporation, right. You are subject <laughs> to their wishes, right. their customer base, and the fact that they're trying to merge your customer base with theirs and grow off of there. That that's it. Right. Facts. That that's their that's their business model. That's their money. And for years, for many many years, in fact, I still do it. Um, I led innovation and product development for big corporations. Right. So I sometimes, to my chagrin, but it's helpful. (laughs) I just think about this whole thing as like a factory. Right. Right. What's the idea? How do you make the product? How do you get the product on shelves? How do you exploit the product? Okay. Is the product dead? Okay. What's the next one? (laughs) And that's how these companies think. So I, I often try to help artists or encourage them to think of themselves as product Absolutely. And Absolutely. think about themselves in terms of product development, everything, like I said, from the factory to the shelf space. Right. You're competing yeah. for dollars. Yeah. You're competing for attention because I might want to buy another product. Right. Sir. <laughs> right. Everybody is not going to um, prioritize you because you think you're hot. Right. The only people that are going to constantly prioritize you are those super fans right. and that target base that we talked about. Right. And that should all to me. That should always be if you if if the end goal. Because a buddy of mine, a veteran, I he said, look, there's three. He and he brought this to me. This is true. He said, look, there's a difference from there's a difference between being a professional singer, right, mm-hmm. an unsigned uh, unsigned artist and an independent artist. Three different yep. things. So and he broke it down to me like this: If you want to go sing on a cruise ship and you're singing covers on, you're getting paid. You're a professional singer. Right, so you're getting paid to sing professionally, right? And then, so I'm like, and then he said, "Well, now you're an unsigned talent. An unsigned talent means they still want a record label. They still want a deal. They're just unsigned, so they're just doing it because they're just doing what they got to do to to try to get signed. And then you have an independent artist who is really trying to cut the middleman out and go Uh do the deal direct." 
Yeah. And, and that's the difference. You know what I mean? And so I like to work with people who want to be independent and who want to be. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with a label in the right situation. Exactly. In and I, right I, I yeah. here's the thing, Darrell. A lot of people are screaming they want to be independent, but they need to be with the label. Yeah, they do. That's true. They do. And, you know, I explore that with my clients as well. Like, look, you screaming, you independent all day long. You want to cut out the middleman. You want to do what you want to do, but you're not doing what you need to do. Right. Right. Let's be honest here and say, hey, (laughs) are you going to educate yourself to do what you need to do, build the right team around you? Or is all of that seem so foreign and unattainable that I might say, all right, strategy shift. Let's start prepping (laughs) to pitch you to some labels. Right. Right. Let and them then, have the headache. But you know then, what the reality right. is nowadays, you know, those big team machines that labels would have, you know, that's drying up too. So you still gotta yeah. learn. You still gotta have your own teams. Your you got to, because when you get signed, they leave your ass alone. They 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 leave they leave you alone. You know, um they leave you alone when uh you get signed to a label. You know, you oh, I'm signed now. <laughs> They will literally leave you alone, right? And they're going to say, what are you going to do on your own to make us pay attention to you? And that's what happens a lot of times. It's like, oh, I'm signed. Yeah, okay, great. You're signed. Sign that piece of paper. Now they go, all right, what you going to do now? And I've I've consulted (laughs) with artists who don't understand that. And that's probably one of the sadder situations. Yeah. Because not only have you... Um, wasted a label opportunity, but now you're probably going to get yourself blacklisted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like that. Theoretically, I know the story. I know the dream. I get signed. They're going to do everything for me. It don't work that way now. And the yeah. more you keep acting like this label owes you something, the more they are going to be like, yeah, right. bye. Right. When is this contract up? <laughs> exactly. And so the, the, the harsh reality is for creators is that there is an aspect of this where you have to do it. You have to do a lot of this stuff on your own. You just do. Because labels are just, they're not willing to invest the resources into to into you just being dope. They don't, they don't develop, labels do not develop acts anymore. All they do, they're in mergers and acquisitions. They do. They're looking to acquire small businesses that are making that are making a profit. So it's Bingo. Wow, you just said a word. You need to hold do a whole teaching on, <laughs> on that I mean? concept. Right. And so so and believe it or not, if you can, if you have three thousand people that are spending eight bucks a month, right? Mm-hmm. That's twenty four thousand dollars a month times twelve. That's two hundred forty k a year. Yep. All right. Only on three thousand people. There's seven billion people on the planet. If you can't find three thousand people to fuck with you, that ain't. Right. On, that's not on them. It's on you. It's on you to cultivate that relationship and show the value. Right. 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 Give right. me and show me the value. It's everything is a value exchange. Every right. relationship is a value exchange. And when you're talking about artists <clears throat> versus the fan and then the super fan, it's a value exchange. And yeah. yeah, if you can't understand how to put a dollar amount to them and they don't understand why they want to put their dollar amount to you. I don't care how many followers you have on Instagram. <laughs> right. It doesn't really matter because there's people who have, so there's people who have, you know, 100,000 followers on Instagram but can't sell a hard ticket. Yep. Or they can't sell a piece of tea. So nobody, so 
what are we doing here? You got all these followers, but they not want to spend money with you. That means there's no relationship cultivated. So a lot of times what I try to teach them is you have to take them off social media and then take them into a funnel, right? Mm-hmm. A top of funnel. We're going to talk about marketing here. And then at each part of the funnel, you provide value. What you don't want to do is bring them to the top of funnel. The first thing you do is say, buy my, buy my album. Yes. No. I don't know you. That sale doesn't happen until about three or four or five layers down the funnel. You're right. And then you can finally say, hey, you know, you know, hey, you know, we've been building here a little bit. You know, I would love to have you know, your support. And that's when you that's when it's OK to ask for the money. That's when it's OK. The point where it's OK to ask for the money. But soon people make that mistake. Don't try to sell right away. Give value. This is, I mean, I like to, I do the same thing with what I do. When people go to textthrill.com, right, that's my top of funnel. Text, they leave their number, right? They go into my funnel and I bring value. I provide value in different parts of my funnel until at the end of the funnel, I'm like, okay, you ready to partner, partner up and work. That's essentially that's telling you, are you ready to, are you ready to hire me? You know, but, but before I did that, I made sure I provided a value where there's trust there. Yeah. You know? So same type of concept, right? So, yeah, it's so important that creatives understand those simple marketing things. Like, what is funnel? What is top of funnel? What does that mean? You know, because a lot of creatives, yeah. unfortunately, now and for us to understand, it. it's a lot of work for them. Yeah. And some people are just not cut out for it. And that's right. not to say you should not be an artist, but let's talk about what kind of artist and what extent of success you're going to have. Right. Yeah, if you can't tell already, I like like root cause analysis. Like, okay, I get it, and we're gonna cut you out all day, but let me get under why you're like this. Right. No, no, no. I'm, I'm the same way because so yeah, because you and I, so for you, for you and I, it, this is simple stuff, right? But but what we, what I had to realize is that artists, their brains just don't think like our brains think. You know. No. <laughs> they, so I'm like, they why don't. can't you understand top of funnel? It's, it's easy. Like <laughs> both by form and function. Number one, by form, by just who they are. Yeah. And that right side of the brain dominates. Yeah, they just. And they, then function is nobody's taught them. Again, every example that they've had, they assume that people have just gone to, from rags to riches instantly. Right. Even what seems like the fastest stories. Like, right. no, Chance did not just blow up in a year. Chance been right. doing this for a minute. Oh. I you just didn't hear Chance that part of the story. In 2014. We're in yeah. 2020. We're in 2021. I remember first hearing about him. I, I went to South by Southwest in 2014, and I heard I was hearing his name back then, and he didn't really pop off till about two or three years later. After that, at least yeah. Uh, now that's 2014. After. Imagine what it took for him to even have his name in the mix. Right at 2014. So it's just yeah. Yeah, you know, be in it. It's a it's a long game, it and is a long if game, you yeah. want to make it shorter, there are ways to make it shorter. But making it shorter means you got to press the accelerator on Monday. understanding those three businesses, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Um, and work. Yeah, I mean, you could you could easily spend Kim. You could easily spend half a million dollars, you know, quickly in this game, and mm-hmm. technically not even really quote unquote be on yet. Right. It doesn't mean you haven't done it. Doesn't mean you haven't you've done it. You've done everything wrong. It just means that when you want to play with the big boys, this is money. It's just no way around it. It's money. Yeah. It's dollars. That's just what it comes down to. You want to work a single at Twitter. You want to work a single at FM radio, which I don't suggest, but a single a, a national single is 250 grand. 
Yeah. At FM radio. Like that's 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 just to work one record, not a whole project. That's a single. And they don't understand that either. I've had people come to me like, can you get me on a radio? I I can get you a spin, but where's your budget? Yeah. (laughs) And the conversation ends. And yeah, like like they like they don't I have to explain to them, like, no, we gotta go to digital radio first. You know, we gotta go, you know, are you with sound exchange, you know, and things like that. So a lot of times you just have to understand there's a different way to do that. So for me. How I position myself, Kim, is that I'm the global guy. I preach, let's make you global, right? Let's make, let's get you to as many countries as possible. That's how I do it. I've been to six countries, right? So when I talk to artists, I say, I'm talking to you from the global perspective because I've been to these places. I understand how it works here in America, but I also understand how it works in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the Medem conference. Have you, have, you ever, have you ever been there? Medem and Cannes? Have you heard of say it? Say that again? The Medem conference. It's in Cannes. Conference. Have you ever have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it. I haven't been. Yeah, you should go. It is the so obviously the last couple of years is last this year is going to be virtual. Last year it was digital. They call it they call it digital. But I've been going since 2016. And that's where a lot of my global relationships started. Right. So it's the top business to business conference in our industry. So you have people, you have countries from every usually there's about 75 countries that are represented every year. So five to 6,000 people. And so I had built a lot of my global relationship from publishers to venue owners to uh, all sorts of people there, all sorts of people. And Meet Them is where we all come together. And that's a business conference. If you want to build your business, you go to Meet Them. You go to Meet Them and you get these contacts. Because the thing about it is there's product, there's, there's, there's brand endorsement opportunities available globally. They just don't know that you exist yet. And a lot of times, these companies from these other countries, they just don't know you exist yet. So once they connect to you, they see you might be a viable option for them. There's opportunities. There's touring opportunities that could come from that. Like, that's how we we have all these global relationships around the world. Because I've invested in myself and I went to these conferences and I built these relationships that are still in in motion today, right? So right now, I work with New School Rules. New School Rules is the top urban music conference, uh, international music conference in Europe, right? The, the, so I showcase artists there. So I bring, I now bring artists from America over to Europe, over to Rotterdam, and we showcase them on a global stage. And a lot of that has happened because I made a point to say, I'm going to be the global guy. I'm going to be the guy that's going to be able to navigate this independent space, but have my own little niche, right? Say, okay, I can help you become global. It's fantastic. That's, 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 that's what I've been doing. So, um, I, I want to get a little bit into your, the corporate side of your career. I know we've been we've been rocking for a while, trying to keep this keep this uh, episode to about an hour because we're getting close to there. So I want to respect your time. Um, so oh, I want to talk a couple of things. I want to talk about uh, you're 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 a member of the Recording Academy, right? So uh, you're not a voting member, right? But you just you're a member of the Academy, professional member, yeah. Awesome, awesome. So how 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 do you feel? How do you feel about the Grammys as of late? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not going down that path on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, people were people were talking about the whole thing with the WAP record. And by the way, you know, I know the guy that did WAP. He's a friend of mine. I know uh, a the producer is a friend of mine. He lives here here in Orlando, and and I know the guy that mixed WAP, Leslie Brathwaite. He's a friend of mine too. He's you know. And I mean, and, and I get I get the record because Cardi B's talking. I say, look, I, I would want to talk about other stuff, but y'all all y'all want to hear me talk about is my pussy, so that's what I'm gonna talk about. 
I've heard her say this. I'm not saying anything that she hasn't said herself. Mm-hmm. And so she comes out with these records that are just what it is. And so and right now, Megan is hot right now. So, and they do, and unfortunately with the Grammys, <laughs> they're doing what I guess what they feel they got to do. Now, am I a They're fan trying of it? to. They're, yeah. they're trying to. This is a um, an evolution phase that they're in. They're trying to contemporize right. the whole, everything from the, the members to the process to the show, which is what the general public sees, right? right. And they think that's the Grammys. It's like, that's wow. the show, <laughs> but the Academy right. is a whole other right. monster in and of itself. And maybe I shouldn't say monster, but... I think they are going to continue to go through this kind of transformation phase until they figure out how they influence, where they fit in um, the industry, right? Right, right. And I I hear all of the, you know, the side eye, or I see all the side eyes, I hear all the sighs, and the um, just the skepticism about it. But the reality is, right, wrong, or indifferent, it is an organization that's supposed to be <laughs> controlled by creators. Right, right. And so my take is, if you have not raised your hand to be a part of it, I really don't want to hear your complaints. Because number one, that tells me you don't even understand what it is. Right. And number two, I mean, it's just like voting in, in America. It's like, okay, you hate it, but you're invited to vote. So... <laughs> As, right. <laughs> you know, technically, I know this is not necessarily what always happens, but technically you can't really be a voting member if you're on the business side. You have to be a creator right. to be a voting member. Executive producers and managers and lawyers, they, we all have to be professional members. Right. And so following that theory, if you're a creator, and creator it includes everything, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, you know this, but it's podcast. People got to learn. Yeah, Creator yeah. includes everything from the engineers to the producers to the mixers right, right. to the master people. It's right. not just the artists. So it's like all of this hemming and hawing and, and you know, it's, it's not contemporary and it's not aligned with what the people want and it doesn't care about the creators. I'm like, well, it's built to do that. You just gotta get yourself involved. Right, right. Um, you know, I mean, here's my take, right? So it is, you know, it is what it is, but the Grammys too, and I've always said this, the Grammys don't validate your success. I think so many people put so much validation in a Grammy. And don't, if you win it, cool. But I, I just don't think that if you don't have a Grammy somehow, you're not great. Right. So so when people are so concerned about winning one, I'm like, okay, if you win one, great. If you don't, I'd much rather you be a working musician, a working creative than work have a bunch of Grammys on the wall and you can't get no work. Well, that goes back to the whole la- lack of understanding and lack of, of education or um the need to be validated. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. If there's any person on earth <laughs> where the need to be validated exists, it's it's an artist. Yes, yes. And we have to make room for that, for them. Um, I get it. You know, I have my days where I want to strangle artists because they're not <laughs> doing the right thing. And I think about the business, they're in their feelings. Right. But they're artists. 
right? right? And they're doing something creatively and they need to experience and feel that validation. So when they reach and grab for things that you and I don't know don't matter, it's just a microcosm of them trying to feel or acceptance or validation because you you just kind of, in theory, created something from your soul. Right. And to not, again, if you're not tied to your fan base the way you should be, right. you're not going to feel that. And so you go after things that fill that, that need or that void. But the, the Grammys themselves, for people who do understand, yeah, it, it is a nice little you know, badge of honor because, again, theoretically, your peers have said you're, good. you're dope. And you're that matters good. to the artist as well. Definitely. Before yeah. the average artist, no, they think it's a bunch of suits in the room deciding who gets a Grammy. And I'm like, there's a little bit of that, but technically it's creators deciding who's exactly right. Not. And so, you know, and, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that. And so I just try to tell creatives, especially independent creatives, because that's who you and I mostly work with, is that if you win one grade, if you don't, it's okay. Like you could still be successful and be and, and have a great career and still be loved and never win a Grammy, you know. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so talk it's about- it's funny to see like when, when, <laughs> once you're um, even a professional member can submit right yes. people for consideration. Right. What tickles me is seeing all the submissions that are there. I'm like, if people only understood how open this thing really is, right. Now, granted, you got to get through the funnel, but I'm like, I've seen stuff on there like I wouldn't even listen to on my worst day, but you can submit it for <laughs> right, consideration. Right. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> it's interesting. It really is. Um, so I was doing some research. So the you're on the the board of the three the three arts. It's a nonprofit organization. Am I right yes. about that? Mm-hmm. So it's a at- not for profit um, out of Chicago, and there are a lot of organizations that um, I've either worked with or um, learned about. But this is probably the one that I'm most proud of. And sitting on the board is um, it's humbling because of what they do. So they. Um, advocate for women artists, artists of color, and artists with disabilities. Interesting. And And when I say advocate, they put their money where their mouth is, and they do everything from artist residencies, but their biggest, um, like training, but then their their biggest... um, kind of branding and what they do are the the monetary grants that they give. Every year we give at least 10 artists $30,000 a piece. Wow. And then we tell them go pay it forward and go find a couple of your friends and then give them some money. Then <laughs> we also especially with COVID now um, did a lot of emergency grants for for artists. Okay. So last year, I think all in all, we gave out over five hundred thousand dollars. Oh wow, that's amazing! In cash, non restricted grants, meaning there was no strings attached. You just had to kind of make it through the process. Wow. Um, and then another thing that we did last year is we brought back three artists, three female artists, women artists who had won before. 
and gave each of them $50,000 to just wow. keep doing what they do. Oh, man, that's powerful. Because that's one thing, I, you know, because, you know, Canada has, they do a lot of, they, they really believe, their government really believes in the arts and they provide a lot of grants. But that's fantastic. That's mm-hmm. right. In Canada, their their government is really, they're, they're powerful. But one thing in America, we, we don't get though, like they don't really, our, our, our government doesn't really support the arts like that. So, so they don't get opportunities a lot of times to get grants to get funding because again, this can be really, really. This is a really, really expensive industry to be in. So the fact that extremely we, and, um, expensive, and the, yeah. what the little bit that the um, government does do is spread across all types of arts, right? Right. Which is cool, you know. I I will tip my hat to that, um, but it is what we is it is, and we live here, and so I do encourage yeah. artists all the time look for the local organizations, look for the um, either city level or private right. or not-for-profit organizations because they are out there right. doing for and supporting artists in, in different ways. Um, Especially, you know, the, the pandemic really obviously hurt. It really hurt a lot of industries, but it really hurt our industry because those live shows are gone, you know, though, you know, you oh have, yeah, you have yes. industry pros that make their living on in show production, you know? Mm-hmm. And so all these festivals last year were gone. That That's money. That's, you know, obviously me being a full cell guy, I know a lot of people that graduated and they work in show pro. And so their whole career, their whole, their whole year is, 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 shows, is live gone. shows. So when, when you say we're, we're shutting down shows, that's the entire, that's their livelihood gone. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole supply chain of people involved in those shows who also had their livelihoods shut down. You know, right. you're talking about lighting people. You're talking about right. audio engineers. Right. Um, it's just that the reach and the impact of it was so vast. And, um, you know, people didn't get it. I, I do take my hat off a little bit to um, the shattered venues grants that are out there that you can apply for. And it's not just for artists, it is for consultants, managers as well, people who have a, a large amount of their income that's attached to um, those kind of shows. It, it ain't a lot of money, but it's something because right. the government did recognize that that was huge. And there was a lot of lobbying that took place last year to kind of get it to that point. Yeah, and hopefully, God forbid, we don't ever have to go through something like this ever again in our lifetime. But it just shows, though, that we need to have these these different artists in place to help these creatives, you know, who, again, because for every, yeah, the, the Beyonce's and, and the Rihanna's and the big artists, that's what, those are the all-stars. Those are, those are the all, the, where's the, where's the role players of the 99 percenters? That, that's who we work with. You know, so mm-hmm. those people are really affected. You know, the big name artists, they'll be fine. They'll be okay. You know, Justin Timberlake can afford to pay his whole, he can pay them, he can afford to pay them to stay home. I'm going to give you your salary anyway. You know what I mean? You know, because he can afford to do that, right? But But you know what? Some of those big artists ended up hurting too. Now, are they going to end up on the street? No, but... Oh, no, they, no, they it was, it was a big, yeah. I, I think it was a big lesson for us all to not rely on any one income stream for artists so much. Right. 
Right. Once upon a time, it was all about the record contracts and the record income that went away. Then it became all about shows and merch. Right. What happens when that shut down? So, you know, it it was definitely um, an incentive for people like us to help artists, to teach them about the various revenue streams and to try to um, equalize it as best as you can. So if any one of them goes away, you're still getting something coming in from some of those other streams. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, because, you know, it it really, it was, it was devastating. It was devastating to see, I mean, just in general, you know, to see people's livelihoods gone, to see people who open restaurants and things like their whole life, the whole, their dream. They worked their whole life. I have a friend of mine, Brianna Rellis, her husband, she's in the music business, but her husband is a uh, restaurant guy. And they had a restaurant in Dallas and they had to shut it down, obviously, most recently here because of the pandemic. So it was like working so working so long to open a restaurant that was doing well, doing very, very, very well. And then having to, you know, because, again, they, the small businesses, they can't afford the, the corporate companies can afford to stay open, you know, but the mom and pops, they just can't because they rely on the regulars. They rely on the foot traffic. Yeah, when I tell you that every everybody from the top of the chain down got hit in a certain way, and the super rich who figured out a way to exploit it, yeah, they they you know they made some bankroll during the pandemic. But I'm gonna put them aside for a minute. Yeah, the reality is that rippled through our entire economy in such a way that even big corporations who were very dependent on consumers to buy stuff, hey. Their top line got hit too because ain't nobody out buying nothing either because they're not out and about or they can't afford it because they've lost true. their job. So it was just, that's, that's it was true. crazy. I've had to sit and watch people who thought that they were secure in corporate jobs for the rest of their lives get laid off. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's not just one or two. I'm talking thousands upon thousands, tens upon thousands of, of people. So right. I just kind of have a, a little bit of a wider perspective yeah. because I kind of have to with this right. other hat that I wear. Right, right. I want to and it's it. just yeah. like, yeah. gosh, if we ever if we ever really understood how interdependent we are on one another. Right. And how people who do understand that exploit it, man, yeah. it's a it's a head trip. <laughs> right, 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 right. So um so talk to me about some of the events that the monthly, I mean, monthly events that you sponsor to kind of help create exposure for some of the new, the new artists. And then I want to talk about, I want to end the episode talking about your corporate side and then we'll, we'll finish up there. Yeah. So um, there is a, or was a monthly showcase. It's ramping back up now called Next Showcases at the Chicago level and the oh, U.S. Yeah, level. Yeah, I got my man Mark, what's uh, Mark Hubbard? Mark Hubbard. So Xavier Keys, I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, he's out of Chicago, actually. Xavier Keys is my artist. I manage him. Oh, okay. Then I probably saw him. You probably <laughs> seen him before. This guy's a special. Let me tell you something. This guy's a special, special talent, and um, out of Chicago. And we've been we've been all over the world together. This brother is really special. And so yeah, so that's done, awesome. He done next showcase. You know, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm familiar. But with Yeah, him. I was um a sponsor for that, and then I would also. Um, when I first became aware of it, I went to one of the shows. I was like, you know what? This is really cool. And the reason that I liked it is it wasn't a forum for bashing artists. Mm-hmm. It 
literally was, you know, for all of its perfections or imperfections, you got up there, you would sing and a panel of industry influencers, they might give you some feedback, but they're also going to give you things of value like studio time, a TV set, um, a spot on one of the big shows like Mambi at the Beach. So these are the kind of things that were happening. I said, okay, this is this is different. I like this because um, there's plenty of plenty of forms out there where artists get ba- bashed in their hopes to dash right. around. They'll, right. they'll never get on the stage again. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I loved it, so I became a sponsor of that, and then I also um, brought the sponsors award, meaning I would give three levels of cash awards to um, artists that either I or the panel would would select. And the kicker is. You know, sometimes we got um, attracted to the best talent on the stage, but I was just always looking for potential yeah, and yeah. talent. And who needs the encouragement right. of a nice $500 or $1,000, whether they got it all together or not. Right. So that was where, that's where my heart is um, yeah, as it that, pertains to, to that. That's awesome. That's awesome that you, you know, that, that, cause that little $500 or $1,000 can make a difference in somebody's, in somebody's dream. You know, yeah, so. they, they may have been just about to give up or they just had, you know, some studio time snatched from them. Or again, they're just starting off and they've heard all the criticism right? and they just need it. And I'm like, it doesn't cost me a whole lot to do that, but it can completely keep them in the game exactly. for another no, month it, or two it, or three. No, it's true. That's why that's why I preach so much about making sure your your business is right, because like something like sound exchange, if you can see a couple of dollars come from that. Yes, that can keep your that can keep you mentally in the game because if your oh mental, my gosh that's so important if your men, let's talk about that for a second if your mental is not strong this industry is designed to fuck you it's Absolutely. designed to fuck you and if you're not careful it will fuck you and it doesn't Absolutely. care who it fucks it's just gonna you know because it it has its way of making sure that okay look. I've told people this, too. I've told, and I'm gonna be real on my part. There's only four ways. Talk specifically to women here. There's only four ways to pay people in this business: money, barter, relationship, mm-hmm. and sex. It's only four yep. ways. It's only there's only four ways you got, right? So, so you know, if you break that down even further, right? So, if you're just starting out, you don't have any money. Okay. <laughs> The next thing is uh, relationship or barter. Barter. Yeah, barter. You don't have anything of value to barter, so that's out. Mm-hmm. You don't have any relationships. So, you, you know, so the only thing you have, I'm not saying it's right, Kim, but it's just, it's the truth. Right? If, 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 if you want the industry, if you don't want the industry, then you don't got to worry about that. I'm talking about people who want the industry. It's, it, it's what it is. It's what it is, you know, and, I, and I've told people that I said, what are you willing to give up? You got to give up something. And the way I tell it is build value. Yes. yes. Because I ain't sleeping with nobody. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> and I'm not going to have my clients sleeping with any, unless they just wild like that. If you free soul, go ahead. Free love. <laughs> but Right, right, right. That's right. not going to be your value and how right. you stay in this game. So, you know, build your value to the point where you're either become a relationship player, you're right. able to start to barter, 
Right. Uh, and then eventually you build up to to the money. But yeah, right. I, ugh, that whole the way that it is, I get it. And I have these weird, like almost bipolar like days. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, hey, it is the way it is. You got to get in line with the industry. And then I have my other rebel days where I'm like, get that. No, we're not right. doing it that way. <laughs> right. No, I feel you because I mean, you know, yeah, because it, it, for a lot of people who have who don't, they don't have a whole lot, they feel like, oh, this is what they have to do. I'm not saying it's right, but, right. you know, but they feel like this is what they have to do because they realize they can't afford, if you're working a corporate job, right, working, you know, because it's really hard to nickel and dime this industry. It's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. There's only so many there's only so many relationships that you and I can call in. Favors, I mean. There's only so many favors that you and I can call in. At some point when we call somebody, we gotta be able to we got to be able to pay them what they're worth. Yeah. If I call you and say, and I and I I, I, I plan on doing this, I definitely want to do some work with you. I think you're amazing and I want to build for and I want us to have a long relationship. I think you're so awesome and I'm so glad I met you. I think Thank you're you. awesome too. And Thank hey, you. look, the reality is. While I got 20 plus years of business experience under my belt, and I'm very savvy that way, I've only technically been, and yes, I've been a musician since I was a kid. I've only technically been in the music business for about seven years. But so, you, but you know, you know, a whole lot. You, I mean, I, I would have known. <laughs> I would not have known because I've been in 17 years, but, you know. But, but listen, I got I knew that I was starting late. I knew that I had something to bring to the table. Right. And I knew I had to get up the learning curve real quick. So right. you talked about going to full sale. Listen, I <laughs> wouldn't want to judge you at all for doing that at 28. I started Berkeley at 42. Wow. So <laughs> like I already had the MBA. I had the two degrees from traditional school, but I was like, look, I, I don't have time is not slowing down for me. So let me accelerate right. what I need to know quickly and yeah there's a whole relationship side building relationships that that's you know that's probably the weaker spot because i haven't been around for 17 years but i can build a relationship in a second oh no i, I have no doubt i can sell water to a fish right and some people don't like that they don't like that i came in so late and was able to make moves and i'm like i can't but be have, concerned but, but, about but, but you that's why i always say for instance like okay somebody that graduates like I had a friend of mine, she graduated from full sales. She but she had been in the military for 10 years prior to going to full sales. I said, you don't really need to intern. You don't realize the skills you know from the military can transfer the stuff you were doing in the military can transfer over. Transfer. It doesn't make sense for you to be whatever it is, um 31 years old thinking you have to go intern at the same level as a 20-year-old. You don't have to do that because you already have technically, you already have skill sets that a person coming in at 20 doesn't have. So a company probably wouldn't even feel justified paying you or letting you work for free because of what you already bring to the table. So to me, your, your 20 years of business experience, at the end of the day, business principles are business principles all across the board, right? But what changes is we're in a in the music industry, is a t- entertainment is a teacher and jeans business versus it being always corporate suit and tie we're a lot of it is a lot of it is a lot of people in this you call on a first name basis you know you don't have to call the mr mrs one thing i love about this industry is i i hate wearing suits mm-hmm. so i love to you know what i mean just it's hard harder for me right so i like the fact that i can wear, i can wear you know my, my pullover or whatever i wear on my on my baseball cap and it doesn't it doesn't look like 
it's not so much found apart type of thing. You know what I mean? That's also one of the reasons I love this because it's it's a very informal industry, right? We don't unless you unless you're with the big boys, unless you start going to these big corporate meetings like Jay Z has now, and you have to kind of put the suit on. You deal with these the, the, the white money. Let's call this what it is, right? So when you deal with that type of money, <laughs> it's a, it's a different thing, right? So so um, hopefully that wasn't offensive. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Um, yeah, uh, well, no, with... and I, I've I've learned some some lessons. Now, the great thing is, thank God, I'm from DC. Yes, DMV. I grew up in like um, lower income neighborhoods, so it, yeah. I got it. If you want to see that side of me, I'll bring it. But I try <laughs> right. to walk into a situation professionally. Right. Um, I never assume over familiarity because people right. you know in my opinion people get offended when you just walk in and you're super relaxed and over familiar but i have learned in some situations it does take that like walk in with some tims and some yeah. uh, some so, jeans so, and yeah, a hoodie so, yeah, on depends on where you go like yeah it depends on what it is like they want they want you to they want it to be chill they want it to be you know you know yeah you're exactly right and then there's some meetings where you got to be in there you got to be suited and booted up you know Especially if it's big dollars. If you talk about a big big money, yeah, you gotta, you know, there's just a certain way you gotta carry you gotta carry yourself. So I totally understand. But my point is that your experience, your 20 years of experience can matters. And again, the industry's changed. You don't need to be have a major record label background. That stuff is irrelevant now because majority of people who are in this space are never going to sign, like we said earlier, are never going to sign a major record deal. So someone like yourself is so viable in today's space. Yeah. It's, and it, going back to what we were viable. talking about, about um, figure out how you add value, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to be anybody but Kim. Right. And right. I don't want to be a tour manager. I don't <laughs> want to be, listen, if that's your, hey, rock with it, do it. I'm going to do what I do well. And if that bothers you, I cannot Look, get wrapped around the you're, axle you're about a leader. it. I mean, some of the, and we're going to finish the episode talking about some of your corporate stuff, but some of the companies you work for are major brands, right? So there are things that you could take from those, your experiences there and teach these independent artists how to be entrepreneurs, how to be how to how to how to understand branding and marketing and, and and what all that stuff means. What is brand development? What is a brand position? What is brand positioning mean? What like I said, what is a value exchange mean? Some of them have no clue what we're talking about. Like mm-hmm. it's basic to us, but believe it or not, one of, one of the exercises that I give one of my, my clients when I well, first start working with them, we talk about we talk about your brand positioning. Yep. Right? We talk about I just presented that question to a, a would be somebody who's trying to, you know, warm up to me for management that I, I know I can't do, but still right. I'm chuckling because I, I asked her that exact question. Yeah, so like, what's your positioning? What's your brand position? And they, they have no clue what that is, right? I always say, look, there's three elements of the brand position, right? Who you, like the community, which you want to serve, who you are, why should somebody care? And you think, and, and it seems like an easy thing for most for a lot. It's not easy for them. A lot of times it isn't that easy for a lot of them. But to take them through the exercise, it's harder than they think it is. <laughs> you know, it's very I, hard because yeah. the the other key element of that is who are you talking to? Yes. Who is yes. the target audience? And yes, 
our entire society has almost been brought up under the notion of that the only way to um, be successful is through volume. Oh, yes. Meaning yes, yes, yes. I got to touch as many people as possible. I'm for everybody. My music is going to serve everybody. Oh, it's like, like wrong, wrong answer. Wrong Let's answer. start over. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's hard for them to get their head around because yeah. let's go back to that validation or that idea of validation. A lot of a lot of artists have been brought up under the notion that the more people like your music, the 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 better your art is. And it's like you got to unplug that thinking and say, no, do what you do and right. do it with excellence and make sure you are aligning it with the, right the audience that loves and values that. Exactly. It's about building now it used to it used to be under the old under the old industry about building wide. Now we build deep. Build deep. And the yeah. reality is there's <laughs> I'm gonna say something real crazy. <laughs> there's no such thing as an organic crossover artist. It okay. doesn't break, exist. Break that down. So you have a core style and you have a core audience, whether you know it or not. Right. If the industry <laughs> and the labels decide that your music is something that could potentially appeal to others, then they go down the process of programming consumers to like it. Okay. Meaning, no, the average 55 year old housewife would have liked Cardi B, but she was told to, whether she knew it or not. <laughs> Right. she was told to so, and then but we sell that on the surface as oh it's just crossover hit just it just resonated with everybody right uh, and that's the product development side of me is like i know better right <laughs> <laughs> and you know you have to either understand what people like and cater to it or really really get savvy at telling people what's alike exactly no that's, that's true. the other coin so no that's coin. true right because after we so after I take them through the the what I call it an artist profile. So I've developed this thing called the Genesis of Super Fan Building. That's kind of what my process is, right? That's, so that consists of the artist profile, and then the next piece of that is what I call the buyer fan persona, or people call this a fan avatar or character now. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. So persona. Once we figure out who, we figure out who you are, then we got to figure out who are we talking to. What does that person look like? Right? We're going to work together because we're competitors, clearly. This is exactly how I talk to my clients. <laughs> you know? So this is what... Yeah. Right. And so I can see here the thing. The reason why I teach this stuff because I see too many people on Instagram. All they say is, make content, run ads. And I don't like that because it's, it's so misleading when you do it, when you tell people to do if that, And if they do what you tell them to do, but then when it doesn't work for them, because they haven't done the ground level work. They haven't done the ground level work. And quite frankly, when you're reliant on a third party for your exposure and your marketing or whatever you're going to use them for, you are beholden to how their system works. So of course you're going to be told that you have to run ads. That's cha-ching money for Instagram. Right. Of course you're going to be told content, 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 because Instagrams, um, they have to build audience. 
right? Right. So they're using you to build audience. They got you thinking you building your audience. It's like, no, no, no. You're building <laughs> audience for them so that they can pitch that to advertisers. It's this whole circular. Right. Don't get me started. I got no, no, no. I feel you. I feel you. But, I just, but the, reason why I, so the reason why I teach the organic stuff is because I, it just bothers me. And not, no disrespect to people that teach that. Like, my guy, James the Guru, like, I follow him, and I think he's dope. But I think he, what he, he's what, what he's teaching is for the advanced artist who already has a foundation already at this point. All they need is the, they, they need the exposure. So, okay, come get my high ticket program that I have here. And I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you at scale, right? But there's so many people who aren't even ready for scale yet. And so, but they're just learn. Oh, but all they see is run ads, 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 ads. Ads are great once you have the foundation and are ready for scale. But we are missing out on the people who don't, who aren't ready for that. They don't even know why the hell they do music. They right. Have no clue what their brand position. There's is. an interim step, and yeah, and so that's what now, bothers I, me. I'm not. I am an advocate of doing as if you're doing it for the sake of gathering data yes yes and market research yes no that makes sense because quite frankly nowadays especially until the world opens back up all the way that's how we're gonna data and digital space and data mining is kind of gonna how you learn about your audiences it's kind of like um an accelerated way exactly um, but no, like a $20,000 ad budget and you don't even have a sound or you don't know who your target audience. No, no, no. We're not going to do that yet. Boo-boo. Yeah, we can't. And it's just like, and there's so many artists who don't want to do artist development, right? So real quick, I know hopefully you're good on time. We're almost done. But real quick, <laughs> what I do in my artist development program, I don't pitch this to everybody because they get freaked out when I say my artist development program costs $30,000 which is cheap, right? It, that Most of that money really goes into the production. If you have the production already done and you just need me to come in and do the, the brand development, it, it cuts down the cost significantly. Yeah. But for somebody who needs to do artist development from the ground up, minimum is going to be 25, 30K, minimum. And that's cheap. That's cheap. You know, because you, you're hiring me as a consultant. I don't own it. I don't own it. I don't own anything. You're just hiring me to do the work. And the truth is, I only make about five grand out of that, out of in my pocket. And the rest, yeah, because you're you're covering your you know overhead production and and all yeah. that stuff. And that's why I don't do artist development. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to his elements of it, yes, but like a full out, no. Yeah, yeah. I don't no. look. I, yeah, I, have I got a, a family to take care of. I can't be. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I hear you because I I don't pitch it often to people because one, when they see the number of twenty five thousand, they get a little, they get freaked out. So it's it's only for certain type of people who I know like it, it, it's for them. But for the majority of my clients, I never even bring out this program because and I don't promote it because when you see the number, although for me I know it's cheap. It's like, what do you mean twenty five k? No, that's cheap. I've told parents before, are you ready to, if you want your if you think your kids are next whatever, are you ready to take out a second mortgage on your house? What do you what like that's the type of sacrifice you gotta be one of them? If if you if you want to do this play with the big boys, that's what you gotta do. See, they don't and they don't want to hear that part, but that's what they gotta do, Kim. You know that. That's what they gotta do. You wanna play with yeah. the big boys like that? That's what it's gonna require. Major Absolutely. dollars. There ain't no way around it. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're, they're going to get freaked out because, you know, they don't even know where they're next. They're trying to exactly. box they, to get a $500 gig right. at the local but their kid, restaurant. But they think their kid is going to be the next biggest thing, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so I want to end off the episode, uh, talk about some of your corporate stuff. So you've led your expertise to several Fortune 100 brands and small businesses, helping them grow organically across several different industries, like media, uh, technology, financial services, but you've also worked with well-known brands as like GE, McDonald's, Johnson & Johnson, and leadership roles. Uh, so, so what's the main difference between working with the smaller, the smaller brands versus working with the bigger, the bigger corporate? What, what do you think is the bigger difference for for, for you as how it's, um, how it's helped your career? So, the biggest difference is um, scale, right? And operational, I would say prowess, right? right? Right. When you're digging, when you're dealing with the the bigger corporations, they have to operationally be so advanced and so tight that the machine is working in a way where it's almost kind of running itself. And when I right. say running itself, I mean it's multiple functions across the the organization. From so we we know functions like oh legal and marketing and sales. It's about 10 other functions um, of groups of people that work behind the scenes from, you know, compliance, regulatory things, et cetera. And um, from the scale standpoint, of course, I mean, they just have larger customer base. They have deeper pockets um, and more. So when you're dealing with the, the smaller businesses, you know, you X out scale immediately and operational prowess, you know, they're kind of at a more um, bare bones or we, we got what we need to run for where we are right now. And right. what I love, however, about the smaller organizations are they're more nimble. They're ready to be more innovative. Um, and they kind of, you know, for better or worse in their own ways, shift industries right right because big corporations they they doing what they do and it's like don't mess it up (laughs) (laughs) they don't like big industries disruptions or economic disruptions the smaller businesses they're always pivoting right right and trying to figure out things so you know when i'm consulting with the bigger organizations it's often around business strategy um growth product development at a level where they're kind of trying to keep status quo. Very rarely are they looking to like shift the bucket a lot. Right. The smaller organizations, they're trying to figure out (laughs) what is our strategy? What is our value proposition? What's our brand positioning? And oh, by the way, um, we don't have a a ton of money. But I just, I, I love working with both for different reasons. And I especially love figuring out how to be successful under constraint. Right. Meaning, you know, smaller budgets or not being, uh, having a whole lot of anything. It doesn't scare me. It kind of excites me because it forces that brain to really work. Right. It makes you be more creative and it makes you hustle. Right. And it's like everybody is is in the mode of, you know, go get the the flyers for the concerts and spread them around the parking lot. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> it's kind of like that mentality of whatever it takes 
to figure this out and and get it done. So, but yeah, I've I've done um, a lot of different industries, and you said something before about transferable, and the understanding corporate strategy, business strategy, strategic marketing, and very transferable skills. Right. And I became known amongst my um, stakeholders in different businesses as somebody that you can plant in any industry. So that's how I ended up working in everything from advanced technology to healthcare to banking, all of that. I would just take these frameworks that I knew and right. go over here and plan them and do it. So when it came time for me to have this opportunity to get back to my first love, the music industry, right? I took the same things right in and I completely right. understand that I'm, I'm not for everybody, but for those artists or those businesses now in within the entertainment industry who want what I have less work all day long. And for those who don't man do it. And I'll learn from y'all. I'm good. Again, <laughs> I'm a swim in my lane and, right. um, and try to do what I do well and bring value. No, you you do exceptionally well, and your value is so needed in today's space. It's, it, it is because there's so many artists out here and creatives that that need the skills that you bring. They need that because, and you're able to bring it from a a, a different perspective. Because I don't have the, the the background you have, so I have to I approach it totally differently. Simply because I just don't have the same skill sets you have. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the beautiful thing about that's why I always say there's enough room for all of us as consultants to be in here because yep. we all have different skill sets that are that bring value and we can all work together. There's yep. no reason why none of us are taking no money out of each other's pocket. In fact, I'm gonna call you. Hey, I need you. You know, okay, can you because listen, I don't do that, but I know you do. Right, right. Listen, I'm a I'm a church girl at heart as well. And I spend okay, a lot okay. of time in like biblical studies and all that. It don't gotcha. I know it doesn't shine through all the time because I'll I'll turn into a hellion in a minute. Hey, but hey, I say all that to say that conversation. <laughs> there is a passage that talks about the different parts of the body. Right. And how every joint supply and you can and I can't look at a hand and say, I don't need you. Right. Or foot can't look at an arm and say, you're not valuable. So I just have a very, very keen, uh, almost obsession with let people do what they do well. God created you with a special gift, skill set or whatever. Stop trying to make everybody the same. Right. And once you figure out what somebody is good at, plug them in. Don't get yeah. intimidated by it because you do something that they can't do. Right. Exactly. So exactly. every joint supply, every party part is needed to make the whole body work. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. It's been a great conversation. You know, where you know, where can people find you if they want to connect to you, work with you, get in touch with you? Uh, what's the best way to, 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 to find you? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of ways. Well, number one is social media, because I by definition, I'm, I have to stay on Instagram, Facebook all day. So right. you can find me there at either Fire Rise Entertainment or Kim K. Dickens okay. are my handles. Okay. Um, website is FireRiseEntertainment.com. And I look forward to meeting more people and um, seeing what we can do together. Thank Wonderful. you so much, Darrell, for having me. This has oh, been fun. You. you were right. We had a good time. We had a good time. Thank you so much, guys. It's been fun. Kim, you're awesome. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad that uh, we, we connected on, on Clubhouse. And, and I just see so much value in what you do. And I knew that you would bring a lot of value to my podcast. And there were so many gems dropped today that I hope 
uh, when people hear it, uh, they'll take, they'll use it, apply it, and and it brings value to to their uh, situation. Because again, we're giving out free knowledge and free, and it's just up to you to take it and and use it. The, the reason why we can give this free information is because what people don't realize is that when you pay people like us, you pay for execution, not so much the information, because the information is already there. It's that mm-hmm. most people don't know how to execute. And that's why you charge what you charge. And that's why to get to get your one-on-one time is going to be, they're going to have to pay for that because, you know, you want to provide the executions what they need, you know, and, yep. it's that, and that's powerful. So. Exactly. There are a lot of things out here, artists, that you can theoretically do yourself. It's like Darrell said, the information's out there. You can go and teach yourself how to do some of this stuff. But the reality is you're only one person for there were so many hours of a day, right. you know, do you know how to make a hamburger? Yeah. You can go home and make yourself a hamburger, but you, would you rather spend your time doing something else and stop by McDonald's and pick up a hamburger? Same way with working with people in the industry and consultants. We're mm-hmm. never going to say that you're dumb and you can't do this stuff. It's a value exchange. Right. And if you want to spend more of your time creating um, yeah, you're going to have to learn some of the business, but if 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 you want to spend more of your time creating and doing those types of things, then you pay for somebody to help you execute some of these other areas that are vital to your success, period. You're paying for a service. Absolutely, guys. And with that being said, this has been the Encouragers by our podcast, and I'm your host, Darrell Peart. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.